Welcome to this episode of Living Legends, brought to you by the New Farm Insider. I'm your host today, John Reitman. Our guest today is Bob Farron. Everybody will know Bob from his role at Pinehurst. You and Pinehurst have become more or less synonymous. I think it's kind of hard to uh, for people in this business, when you think of Pinehurst, not to think of you. You're a second-generation golf course superintendent, but your degree is in a hospitality field. So can you give us a little bit of a background of the family legacy in golf turf management and how you got to be in the business? Well, first of all, I, I'm honored to, to even be thought of in the same breath as, as being with Pinehurst, but uh, I certainly have uh, enjoyed all my years here. Um, but I grew up in West Virginia in a small town called Tornado, West Virginia, actually. And my mother was a school teacher, and uh, we lived in the same community my, my entire childhood. Uh, I lived halfway between the golf course where my dad worked and the school where my mother taught, which was only about a mile apart. So I grew up uh, either being in the school or at the school, uh, most of the time at the golf course under my dad's feet from the time, from any time that I can ever remember, whether I was out on the golf course fishing in the ponds or, or riding around with my dad. But um, he, uh, he was very fortunate to, uh, to meet the son of the owner of the golf course as it was under construction. And and literally uh, started to work uh, in the dirt on the on day one of the golf course being built. So uh, he became the uh, certainly my mentor in many many ways. But um, uh, it was really a family uh, a family type situation at the golf course. Uh, all of his friends and our social network was uh, all related to the golf course. So I grew up uh, you know embracing that and and frankly never. Uh, never wavered or considered another another career path. The the reason I ended up uh, with uh, my degree in parks and recreation and tourism uh, at the time, uh, soon later to be known as a hospitality degree uh, at Marshall University in Huntington, West Virginia, which was um, less than an hour and a half or so from our home community, and. I, I found a way to to carve uh, and maybe fit my uh, love for the golf course and uh, into whatever agronomy and science I could I could grasp at the time. But I, I sensed that I could do that without the nearest turf school would have been Virginia Tech in Blacksburg. Uh, my dad had a lot of connections and, and relationships with with the turf program there, so we would. That's how I got my the science part of my education at that time. But uh, I wanted to be able to stay in state and um, be uh, be able to work on weekends and what have you at the golf course and spend as much time as I could doing that. So that's how I, I came to be uh, a non-turf uh, studied uh, superintendent. But uh, I've always maintained the relationship with Virginia Tech, and then since I moved to Pinehurst in '82. Uh, NC State University, so I've uh, stayed connected in that regard. There's a, a tornado West Virginia and a hurricane West Virginia. What in the world is that telling us about the weather there? Well, you know, it's funny that you say that. My dad, uh, <laughs> yeah, when he left the, that course, it was a public golf course, uh, he moved his next career move and his final one where he retired from. He moved to Hurricane, West Virginia, from from Tornado to Hurricane, which was only about 20 minutes apart, to Sleepy Hollow Country Club, which is in Hurricane, West Virginia. So 
<laughs> it was uh, it's uh, it's ironic how that all worked, but uh, uh, but two really good golf courses. Through the years, you've been extremely active in promoting the industry for your colleagues, which is a great thing. But you've also been extremely active in promoting the careers of up-and-coming superintendents, assistants, assistants in training, and so forth, and some of the various um, career development uh, opportunities that are out there. Why is helping develop that next generation of superintendents, why has that been so important to you? Well, I, you know, I get the sense maybe it's, it's uh, part of my mother's love of school teaching and education uh, and certainly the, the tutelage I had uh, growing up and, and realized, uh, you know, the value and importance of, of having a mentor and, and, and really, um, since, since especially being at Pinehurst, uh, certainly on the national uh, recognition stage, we've had the, the ability to attract untold numbers of interns, uh, over the years, probably close to 200, I would say, uh, in the, in the 35 or 40 years. Uh, Brad Coker, that was in my position uh, that I worked uh, as an understudy with for 20 plus years, uh, he he focused. Uh, he put a great value on the internship uh, programs that we had and the opportunities we had, not only for Pinehurst but for the the students themselves. And so I've always just kind of embraced that. And then um, with my involvement with the Bayer Green Start Academy for now 12 years. Uh, it's really heartening to see uh, the number of uh, assistants that have come through that program, and I run into them at conferences now. Uh, no matter where I may go, there's always some alum there uh, from from that group of people. So, uh, yeah, I, I get a, a great sense of accomplishment or feel a good, just kind of a, a good feeling about knowing that we have a a great number of good people coming on with the next generation of uh, of our profession. And this year, or I guess in 2017, you've also become involved with the New Farm uh, Excel board as well. That's uh, that's a very similar program uh, to the to the Green Start Academy that um, I'm really excited about the the relationship they've developed uh, with the GCSAA and Environmental Institute in the sense of. Of a, it's a three-year program that's uh, really involved, and um, uh, the the assistants are uh, involved in that for three over a three-year period. They'll make a great number of of contacts and and relationships as they go through that, and uh, and I think that's a great uh, a great addition to to our to our industry and, and where we're going with things. You talked a lot about your father and how he helped form who you are as a golf course superintendent. Who are some of the other mentors you look back on as having helped form your career? Well, I look back certainly at, at my dad and uh, and the uh, the friends and, and uh, the people that uh, I was uh, associated with through, throughout those earlier years of my of my childhood and and career, but. Uh, the owner of the golf course where I grew up, Jim Evans, was uh, a great man and loved golf and, and loved the, the family atmosphere of it. Uh, from a from a professional perspective, I would say that Bob Mitchell, uh, he was a longtime director of uh, uh, golf courses at uh, at the Greenbrier, uh, 
and um, past president of the USG, of the uh, P, of the uh, GCSAA. So he was a great mentor, I think, in terms of, of Stan Zontek uh, with the USG, the USJ Green section that um, I'd known since I was in my early teen years. In fact, he and my father were. Uh, struck by lightning together on one of on Dad's course once. Uh, witnessed struck, knocked them both down, and obviously they both and they both survived thankfully. But so I, yeah, I, they were just part of the community of of, of friends that uh, were mentors, whether I realized it or not. And certainly Bill Campbell, he was the president of the USGA. He was from Huntington, West Virginia. So I I really looked up. Um, and learned a great deal from from those folks that, uh, I, as I look back on, um, that I hold in really high regard. You mentioned earlier Palmer Maples. Um, I, I love to read old um, uh, old stories and books and, and stories from people, um, whether it's in the golf industry or not. I'm just kind of a nerd for that. I'd love to uh, to read that and reminisce about old days and, and look at old photographs and uh, and the Maples family has been you know a great part of Pinehurst for many many years I worked with Wayne Maples uh, here and uh, I knew Gene Maples was in the community so I I, uh, I look I look up to a lot of those uh, the legacies of, of the Maples here the pageants that were involved in Pinehurst and certainly the Deadman family that's uh, integral part of of who we are and what we are, and I would say that each of those families, to a certain extent, have been mentors of mine as well. How has the profession changed from an agronomic perspective, a, a personnel management perspective, from when you got into the business nearly forty years ago? Well, that's a that's a that's a great question. You know, we, I think we're looked upon more as uh, uh, we're looking through different eyes now as, as business people, superintendents are. Uh, we view ourselves as more of a, a business center or profit center for the club as opposed to many, many years ago. We were kind of down in the barn. Uh, it was an expense item. Uh, we'd get our jobs done, and that was it. But, but I think we're viewed more as we run, our, we run a, a high-level business, uh, the sophistication of what we do and how we go about things certainly has changed a lot. The technology available to us now, uh, the conditioning levels that we're able to produce. One thing that I think that we don't, we perhaps don't get enough credit for. I think we're getting more credit now, but when when people talk about technology and golf and how it's changed the game. Most of that conversation relates to technology in clubs, shafts, and all those things that the the hard goods of golf produce, technology in the golf ball. It's certainly changed. Uh, But the conditioning levels of golf courses is incredible now compared to what it was even 20 years ago. And uh, the putting surfaces, all that goes with it, uh, has changed a great deal. That's contributed to some great, some great golf going on. The one thing I like to to, to talk about 
a lot with the assistant superintendents when I have opportunity is if looking back on the continuum of my father, uh, my dad was a greenkeeper. He practiced the art of greenkeeping. No question about it. Now, he had products available to him, very limited compared to what we have today, obviously. Um, but he practiced the art of greenkeeping. And my generation um, has really focused educationally and otherwise on the science of greenkeeping. Um, a lot of great science and research, and we've been involved in a lot of it here at Pinehurst. As I mentioned earlier, NC State, you, know, you can name the universities, Penn State, VPI, or Virginia Tech, or wherever it may be, but the science of it, and the, but the companies that we have and the products that we have available now are proven uh, environmentally friendly. Uh, they're proven to be effective, and we base, you know, we can, we can depend on that as, as superintendents. So that science part of it is, has got a great foundation. I encourage uh, the assistant superintendents and the, the upcoming uh, future generation of superintendents to reflect back and look on the art side of it and learn more, you know, you know better ways to, of cultivation, of surface management, of grooming, sand top dressing, all those things that are more art than science. We've got a great number of scientific tools that we certainly are valuable, moisture meters and the things that we manage water with. Uh, but I think the more they can learn to the art of it, I think they'll distinguish themselves in the marketplace for, for jobs. We'll be right back after a brief message from our sponsor. Pinpoint Fungicide from New Farm Americas contains a new active ingredient to deliver outstanding early and late season control of dollar spot. Pinpoint provides superintendents and turf management professionals with an excellent fungicide rotation partner to optimize disease management stewardship. Pinpoint's unique and targeted active ingredient has been proven in university performance trials and delivers outstanding control of dollar spot, take-all patch, fairy ring, and brown patch to ensure a clean field of play. For more information, visit newfarm.com. We're back on Living Legends, brought to you by the New Farm Insider with our guest Bob Farron of Pinehurst Resort. From professional championships to amateur championships, of which there have been many, to just the everyday golfer there, you're, you have a high-level player who's an accomplished golfer who knows their way around the golf course very well. Um, and you incorporate that skill level with the changes in technology. And Pinehurst becomes an ever-changing place to remain relevant to the golfer. How, how hard is that to constantly be changing your product to keep it competitive in today's golf industry? And where does the end of that come in? How, how far can golf courses be stretched and tweaked and so forth until you just get to a point of diminishing returns well that's 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 a good point and and we do you do have to be intentional about it and and, and see and understand uh, what people are wanting we we have focused especially the last five years maybe eight years on 
on realizing that we must have the families involved, whether it's from the membership perspective or family vacation perspective, uh, to involve the mother and the children and, 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 and all that, and try to make it a welcoming environment to have fun. You know, one of the, the things I've, uh, I've kind of promoted or talked about in the last year or two has been we've always been the we've always offered championship golf at really the highest level. Uh, we're now focusing on having fun at the highest level. We've just built a new uh, par three course called the Cradle, uh, literally at the front door of, our, of the clubhouse, and a 75,000 square foot putting course uh, that's literally for fun, just to have fun. And when we open the cradle in October, uh, it takes about an hour to play it. Gil Hans was a designer, and uh, he's now working on course number four with us. But um, on the very first round, uh, we had a three three round shotgun or a, a three stage shotgun group for the members uh, preview. Uh, the first hole-in-one was made on the first shotgun day. Oh, wow. <laughs> the guy was 84 years old. That was on Thursday. On Sunday, another hole-in-one was made, and the guy was 14 years old. So there was 78, 70 years difference in their age, and, and they had fun. They both were having fun doing it. So it's we're trying to reach all ages with it, and... Um, it's a way for uh, uh, people to be introduced to the game, or it's a way for uh, those that uh, have time, they only have an hour or so to play, to, to and this, they're not intimidated in playing. So um, we've we've intentionally focused on having you know the fun factor of it. In fact, we're redoing our Maniac Hill, our practice range right now, and making it more um, pleasing. Looks more like a golf course setting. Uh, with a lot of mounds and, and wiregrass and native areas within the range itself. So um, the f- focusing on the uh, practice areas and, and areas for people to be introduced to the game, I think, is important. And we've had the world, U.S. Kids World Championships here now for 12 years, where we have twelve or 1,500 kids and their families here for two weeks in the summer that, that play on a really high level. But at the same time, it's 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 introducing and seeing those those people succeed and have fun playing golf. You've been part of literally dozens of championships: three U.S. Opens, a Senior Open, a Women's Open. In fact, a U.S. Open and a Women's Open in the same year. To have the PGA and the USGA come back over and over and over again. In fact, the USGA coming two times in two weeks back in 2014, <laughs> I guess. 14, yeah. That has to be incredibly rewarding. It, it certainly is. And, and you know, the it was, it was humbling the fact that the USGA would even consider uh, doing the back-to-back U.S. Opens and, 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 and asking us to do it, essentially saying, if anyone can do it, you can, and that being you being Pinehurst and not only Pinehurst Country Club, but, but the community of Pinehurst, because um, it is such a, a community of, of people with like uh, DNA, DNA with golf, and, and not only the golf spirit of it, but the spirit of community of giving back, 
and and being and and paying paying it forward in the community, which which we have a wonderful wonderful uh, community of people that do that, and that's that was what made the back to back U.S. Opens a success. The conditioning levels of the golf courses were great, and the competition was great, and all that, which is obviously the most important. But that would not have happened, would not have made a difference had everything else had not worked in, in, in sequence with it. When you're not out serving as an ambassador for the game and an ambassador for your profession, what's a day in the life of Bob Farron like? <laughs> Some days are better than others, I can tell you that. <laughs> but uh, it's it's great. I, I enjoy a lot of times at lunchtime I'll go up and I'll just go to the range and hit balls or hit some putts and because I do love to play golf. I don't play as often or as much as I would uh, like to or that I once did, but but I can still find time to carve out and do that. But it uh, you know I engage interact with with certainly our staff um, throughout the day and I'm involved uh, in the community in different aspects. I'm on the I'm actually just became chairman of the Pinehurst Historic Preservation Commission, uh, which is going to be a challenge for me. I, you know, I look forward to doing that, working with the other people in the community. I just went on the first tea board, which uh, I really look forward to, to doing that. So um, and that's one of the other things that I, that I stress to assistant superintendents is to become more involved in the community that you live in, volunteering for coaching soccer teams or whatever the case may be because your membership base or your clientele looks at you, I think, in a different way, uh, John, if they see that you're involved doing other things, whether it's with your church or the first tee or Boy Scouts or you name it, um, they see you as as more of a part of the community instead of just someone that takes care of the golf course where you play. Bring us up to speed on the, the Pinehurst property overall. How many holes do you have? How many managed acres are there and how many people or do you count as members of your team okay we have we have nine nine courses plus the cradle um we have nine 18 hole championship golf courses um the most recently we acquired in 2014 which is jack nicholas signature course um that's now pinehurst number nine so we have that and um each of the golf courses, you know, are typical golf course acreage-wise. So we, it's between 90 and 100, 100 acres of turf uh, and all those things. But um, we have um, uh, between 225 and 250 uh, full and or part-time employees uh, within our group. Uh, seven golf course superintendents that uh, oversee the nine courses. Uh, have an operations golf uh, operations manager that that uh, work closely with Kevin Robinson, and um, a ground superintendent, and irrigation manager. So it's 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 kind of a you could take a typical 18-hole golf course and multiply it to a certain extent by seven and a half, and we'll we'll be there uh, with with the with the population base and and the resources that we have available for us. So. Uh, we keep a lot of balls in the air. We all, we always have uh, seemingly a construction project going on. As I said, we're Gil Hans is, is rebuilding, redesigning course number four right now. It'll be open this this fall. Uh, built the cradle last year, the par three course. Next year we have the 
the men's amateur, the USGA men's amateur, and then at 24 we'll have the U.S. Open again. So there's, there's uh, seemingly always something out in the future that we're working to strive to, uh, but at the same time we're doing a lot of projects um, that keep us busy otherwise. At one point I was at an event where you were a speaker and you were talking about the importance of the golf course superintendent being the go-to expert for everything at the golf course, whether it's agronomics and, and conditioning of the golf course itself, operations inside the clubhouse. And I think one of the examples you even said is if they need to land the president's helicopter at the golf course, you need to be the person they call to make sure that it happens. Tell us a little bit about that philosophy and where and when did that epiphany come to you? Uh, well, it uh, I, I guess it was ingrained in me, John, as as I was growing up with my father being the, the superintendent at that public facility. He and the son's owner, uh, the son's owner the, uh, did the inside operation. My dad was on the outside operation, and he was the go-to person of anything that needed to be done, uh, regardless. And so I, I sensed that, and I recognized it over the over the years that you know I think the more you can uh, offer to do and be be and encourage people to come to you for for help in that regard um, the better the more value you add to yourself certainly um, you're viewed as, as as being a more valued asset for the property but then um, Robert Dedman the founder of Club Corp uh, that owned us for many years um, I've heard him speak on a number of occasions um, of the superintendent at most of the facilities. Now, Mr. Debman and, and Club Corp owned and operated, you know, close to 200 golf courses at some at some given times. Certainly, over 150 many times around the country. So he had a lot of different disciplines within the club whether it's the superintendent, the general manager, the head professional, the chef, banquet manager, whomever it may be. And he would always stress to us superintendents that we were the, we had the most resources available to us. We were the most resourceful. We we're problem solvers by nature, just our DNA. And we're technical thinkers. And he wanted us to, and he stressed it to the golf professionals, general managers, and other disciplines within the club corp that if you have a problem, if you'll talk to your superintendent, there's a really good likelihood if he doesn't solve it for you or with you, he'll certainly be part of the equation to help you solve the problem, <laughs> whether it's landing a helicopter or whatever the case may be. But, but I think it's important for superintendents to project themselves as being an asset to the club and a valued you know, partner in, in the success of it. And and really, uh, part of Mr. Devon's philosophy, too, was you know really serving people, having a servant's heart and wanting to serve people and to uh, to help people, whether it's your, your, regardless if it's a clientele that's playing golf, the members, uh, other staff, uh, and other employees within the club to to really uh, approach intention and be intentional about helping to serve others. If you were made king for a day, 
How would <laughs> how would you fix the golf business? Well, I don't know that it's a fix, but a couple of things that I look at with it. Number one, frankly, is the complexity of the rules. <laughs> if you look at it on a big scale, uh, they're just not very user friendly uh, of learning to play uh, within the rules. And frankly, you know what percentage of golf really does play really and truly within the rules. Um, out of bounds, I would eliminate out of bounds. If I were king in the day, for sure, I would not have out of bounds where there's a stroke penalty uh, and, and stroke and distance penalty for out of bounds. That's that's more painful than you can actually whiff it off the tee, absolutely not even hit the ball, and that's less of a penalty than if you hit the ball 100, 100 yards and it goes out of bounds. So uh, I don't like that rule. But, um, uh, yeah, I think... Trying to find ways, to, again, to bring the fun factor back into it. Time constraints are certainly part of it. Um, it's it's a struggle, and I, everyone's trying to understand and find ways to, um, uh, whether it's uh, the nine-hole initiative. I think what we've done with the cradle, building the par three course and improving all of our short game practice facilities and practice range where someone can go out and engage in golf for an hour at a time or an hour and a half and and and, and, and get their fix that way. Um, but it is it's a challenge and, and for the next generation of, of golf my my son and daughters um, to for them to take five hours out of their day on a Saturday afternoon or, or a Tuesday afternoon and play golf for five hours that's 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 a that's a hard thing to do now and um I don't know the fix for that, but I think the more we can keep people involved in trying to find ways for it to be more fun and faster, uh, the better off we're going to be. And I think also, and this goes back to superintendents being go-to people and resourceful, um, yeah, I think the more you open your, your mind to understanding that the golf the golf course uh, can be played for, you can play golf on it. Uh, be open-minded to having people use it as for distance runs, 5Ks, uh, different uses of the, of, the, of the facility itself. It helps as value in the community. Uh, you just have to be open-minded to it and, and understand how that might work. But uh, there's different ways you can make the, the golf course a more of a valued asset. Bob Farron, thanks for joining us today. We really appreciate your time. Well, thank you for all you do with the industry and and uh, and, and, and with all that, and uh, I look forward to uh, our paths crossing again soon.